Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, today we start off with another request. This is by Andrew. We haven't done requests for a while, so we thought we would get back to some of these after our 250th episode blowout (laughs) Uh, and do a film called The Woman. This is a movie by Lucky McKee. We've done uh, we've done a couple movies, but well, we've done May right by Lucky McKee on our podcast before, and then there was a really intriguing segment on an anthology film called XX that we did called The Box, uh-huh. uh, which yep. Lucky McKee also directed. He's had a really interesting filmography as far as horror is concerned, and, and mostly horror is what he's done. Back in the day, there was an author named H.P. Lovecraft. Perhaps you've heard of him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. He, he mentored a guy named Robert Block. Perhaps you've heard of him as well. Uh, among other things, he wrote Psycho. And Robert Block mentored an up-and-coming writer back in the early 80s named Jack Ketchum. And Jack Ketchum wrote a bunch of horror novels as well. One of them was called Off Season. He wrote okay. Off Season in 1981. It was his first novel, and it was based on the same kind of incident that Wes Craven used uh, as subject matter for his The Hills Have Eyes, right? which is about a crazy cannibal family that goes in, you know, get, gets uh, starts terrorizing, basically, a, a suburban family who's traveling. And uh, then he writes a sequel to that novel, Offspring. This is a sequel to the novel Offspring, The Woman co-written with Lucky McKee. And Lucky McKee is our director of this film. So this is how all of this ties together. This is a sequel of a sequel. This film centers around the last of a clan of cannibalistic feral humans running around. Um, And it's about this woman who is captured by a guy. He decides to more or less force his family to try to civilize Civilize. (laughs) I mean, this is a really interesting movie. I mean, uh, it's as soon as I started watching it, I was like, okay, this is a movie with a social message. I think much like May was before. I really, really liked that movie. It was shocking. It had a shocking ending, almost a kind of ambiguous ending as well, as I remember. Yeah. And, but it was very much centered around this woman and basically how she was tormented by people especially guys and mistreated and so it's a very feminist type movie am i wrong about yeah, that yeah well menaced by guys i don't know like she was just such an awkward person and like that's the thing that i like about may it's much darker than the stuff that i'm usually drawn to mm. um but i felt so much empathy for May, the main character, I felt so bad for her. And of course she was doing terrible things, but even so, I just felt that the movie was very sad. Obviously this girl was damaged and had problems, but ultimately I was left feeling that the world had let her down. And and I I felt bad for the predicament that she found herself in, even though she was doing terrible things. It's dark. And this movie is dark too. There's also... A, a follow-up movie to The Woman called Darlin'. When I saw The Woman the first time, which has been a while ago, I didn't know that it was a sequel in any way to a book, to a movie, nothing. I, I just thought it was a standalone movie, and I think that it works as a standalone movie. Yeah. And I've not seen Offspring. It's kind of hard to find. You can find it. You can rent it on Amazon and on some other platforms, but I haven't seen it. I've watched the trailer, and I've read some reviews of it, and it looks very much like a sister movie of the hills have eyes mm. this movie though i can see how it is a follow-up to something like that is not like that it, no. it, it it's very different in fact it's almost a reversal you know whereas in something like apparently offspring which i haven't seen but the hills have eyes where these wild feral people are preying on you know like a suburban family this flips it and it's the suburban family who are preying on this woman 
Yeah. Um, and it's weird. This is a movie that's been on my personal list for us to do for quite a long time. I think that I've mentioned it several times, but it's never yeah. been like, oh, come on, we have to do it. It's just like, uh, let's get around to it eventually. And Andrew requested it last week, and it was just a good excuse to finally do it. And more than I was looking forward to rewatching the movie, I was really interested to see what you thought of it because <laughs> it's it's very dark and nihilistic and that's not typically your cup of tea you're right it's not really typically my my cup of tea and i would say that especially lately you know i've been looking for escapism in my films and when things get so dark and so nihilistic it's like you know the world has already gotten so dark yeah. lately that i don't really need to revisit that but that being said i do enjoy these kind of movies if i feel like they have something to say in particular and the thing about this film now i hadn't seen it before this i this is my first time watching it as well one thing that i have to say about this movie is i was a little disappointed especially considering this in his ouvoir all right i really liked may i thought may had some depth it was weird the movie was a little strange the girl was a little strange yeah it was a slow film that really took its time and it was like a character study you know we got to know this girl and we got to see yeah the depth of her oddness mm -hmm. it just felt complete and round and whole and then it took some really interesting turns and you could see how people interacted with her and how they almost used her in their own ways it which is life you know we all kind of use each other right right uh and, and, and so it, it, it i it just really really enjoyed that movie and i felt that it had a depth and then it had a kind of a funky little twist at the end that was kind of cool and a bit of a shock and and all of that really worked well for me the problem that i had with this movie now it's a fine film don't get me wrong i'm not going to rag on it but the problem that i had with this movie especially compared to that is i felt like it was a little hollow too preachy. I knew what was going on almost from the very beginning. Almost from the minute we get introduced to the father character in this named Chris is super sinister. And you just kind of know something's not right here. So there's no real surprise. And the women in this family, again, from the very beginning, spend most of their time in all of their scenes staring off into space, just shy of tears. So you know that they're troubled and repressed and something's going on there. And it just, your your assumption is, well, this Chris guy is a douchebag and he's controlling them. And it turns out to be right. Now, the depth of that, you know, gets really messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. But, but honestly, like, uh, my mind was already racing to those conclusions yeah. practically from the first few scenes. And so when he captures this woman and he takes her in, I'm like, oh, I mean, this basically, this is what this is. This guy is treating her just like he treats his family, blah, blah, blah. We're going to get to see how this plays out. Maybe we're going to get to learn more. But in, at the end of the day, there were really no surprises. And what was nice about May, I, I, it's not fair to compare it to another movie. I mean, these are standalone works of art. But I'm just going to say it anyway because it's an easy way to talk about, for me, what, what I didn't like about this movie. What Comparing it to May, May, like, I was kind of on the edge of my seat because this girl was mysterious. And I just kind of mm -hmm. watched the onion get unpeeled, you know, layer by layer. And it was mm -hmm. fascinating. And I just had no idea where it was going to go. You know, was she going to come around? And, and, and was, she, was there going to be some epiphany here? Was she going to have, what was her arc going to be like? And then it took me places I didn't expect. And that was really cathartic. <laughs> and this movie felt not like that. It, it started out and it, it was... I understood what, what it was about pretty early on. Um, it took me about all the places I expected it to go, more or less. And then, uh, you know, then there was an ending. <laughs> and, and so it never felt so real to me. I don't know how to express it. Like, uh, not that they were caricatures, but it was just... May was a very slow and dramatic movie. This was a very slow and dramatic movie, but to me it felt really drawn out as a short <laughs> this might have worked a lot better for me than a movie that was an hour and 45 minutes long. Um, but yeah, that's it, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. <laughs> I agree with you to an extent in that I could tell from the very beginning that though this family was presenting this veneer of, you know, perfect suburban 
nuclear family, you could immediately tell, as you already mentioned, that there was something wrong. It's small town, almost rural, really, and the dad is a big shot lawyer, like an estate lawyer in town, and seems to be very well respected and very well liked. And it opens up at this barbecue where, you know, it it seems like a pretty tight-knit community, the wealthier members of this community, but suburban nonetheless, kind of, in in the way that they look. But you're right, like, just something... He presents that very charming southern lawyer persona but everybody else in the family just seems a little bit off his wife who's played by angela bettis who played may who i think must either be a dear friend of lucky mckee or a muse of his and and understandably so because i think that she's fantastic she just seems a little bit removed like there's nothing behind her eyes there's nothing behind her face craig removed is a very kind way of putting it she just looks completely spaced out the whole time yeah she's on the verge of tears at every moment and I mean, that was just projected a mile away, and that's fine. I mean, maybe this woman is like that, but it didn't make for a, a much of a mystery. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you can tell immediately that the dynamics are messed up. The older daughter, Peggy, played by Lauren Ashley Carter, very lovely young woman. I don't really know her from anything else. She's sitting poolside, and she, you know, all of the other teenagers are swimming and having a good time, and she's... Uh, you know, not in a bathing suit. She's kind of quiet and by herself. And then there's the son, Brian. This was his first film, I believe. I, I didn't recognize him at all. But even just, I don't know if it was the way that it was filmed or if the way he was directed, but you could just tell that there was something off about him, too. Yeah. Like, he never smiles. He's constantly kind of just leering at everybody. And he sees some boys children but these boys are picking on a girl a young girl who's smaller than them and like in the very first seconds that i saw that i thought oh brian's going to intercede to protect this girl but no he doesn't at all no he he just looks at her coldly almost from afar sitting on his basketball and then just stands up and starts shooting free throws like right yeah it's very clear yeah, that he has no interest in helping her. Almost uh, just a fascination with the fact that she's being tormented by these guys. Well, and that's the thing. Like, when you get right down to the nitty-gritty of this movie, I think, though I'm not sure really how successful it is, nor am I sure how hard they were going at serious social messaging, but the underlying motifs of this movie are misogyny, patriarchy, to the extreme Um, (laughs) and, and Brian ends up being a very clear product of that toxic masculinity and, and toxic misogyny. Not that there's untoxic misogyny, but (laughs) anyway, and and so (laughs) there's one other, there's a little girl named Darlin and, you know, For the most part, she seems like a normal little girl, except for that she's bratty. And this isn't out of the ordinary. It's nothing that you would question in real life, I don't think. But it seems pretty clear that she is not in any way motivated by any fear of authority from her mother. Like, she Mm, talks back to her mom. She, She acts out. You know, little kids do that. But... As the movie goes on, you realize that there's a reason for that because the mother really has no authority. Yeah. And so it's just weird from the beginning. They live in a nice house in the country. Though you know something's off, on the surface, pretty normal family. The dad maybe kind of seems like a dick, but meh, that happens, whatever. Things get interesting when the dad goes out on an early morning hunt, and he's, I guess, oh my gosh, we skipped the beginning, and I don't want to skip the beginning because it's weird. (laughs) The first person that we see is the woman, and she's this wild, dirty, feral woman apparently living in the woods. The thing that's bizarre to me, and I have no idea if it's a connection to the previous film, she's like walking in a river... And she, like, kills or 
injures a wild dog, like in a den or something. But then she's running through the woods and looking just above the camera, and the camera work is all very stylized, like yeah. almost dreamlike. And then there's a baby? <laughs> like in in like a the wolves den. I, I got the impression that she den? was. I got the impression she was having a dream here. You're right. It's super stylized. It's very dreamlike. It's actually unlike any of the rest of the film, which is almost the complete opposite. Close cuts and these fades and these cross fades and these uh, superimpositions of different you know footage. Uh, of her running through the woods and sleeping and her running through the woods and sleeping some more and like killing something and sleeping. And then you're right, like a baby that's laying down in a nest of sorts that's being kind of trolled by wolves. And I imagined what this was was like her origin story. I kind of thought this was, oh, this is like a baby for one reason or another was raised by wolves. Because at one point the baby, like the wolf kind of, it, I mean, kind of looks like it's feeding something to the baby, and then the baby kind of like kind of peels away, and the baby's mouth is bloody, and his hand is bloody, and it's kind of smiling and all that. I, that that was my impression of what this meant, anyway. Well, see, and I think that there's also an underlying motif of I don't know if this is the right word, but maternity or mm. motherhood. You think maybe she was pregnant or had been because she's also injured in her abdomen. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know. What I do know, okay, so the the dad sees this woman while he's hunting. He goes back home and he forces his family in his absence. He doesn't help at all. He forces them to clean out the cellar, and he doesn't tell them why. It's basically just like, you'll see. And then the next day, he goes back out into the woods, and as she's emerging from her little den, this woman, he throws a net on her and captures her, knocks her out with the butt of his rifle, drags her back home, and puts her in the cellar, and strings her up on this, like, pulley and lever system in the cellar but craig real quick let's talk about when he's out hunting and he sees her he's not almost he's like almost not the least bit shocked that there's a woman running wild back there and also he's like scoping her out literally through the scope of his rifle like you might leer at somebody through binoculars or yeah. something like that except for in his in his case it's through the scope oh, of his rifle it's, it's the male gaze yeah. Yeah, it's it's the yeah. male gaze through <laughs> the the sight of a rifle the literal because she's scope. bathing. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's the editing is kind of interesting here too because he sees her bathing and it really leers on her breasts and her shirt is flapped open or whatever and then she kind of tucks her breasts in and starts to walk away. But then there's like a cut of her breasts are exposed again, but then they're not. And then they're exposed again. They're not. And you get this sense that, oh, like, you know, this is what he's leering at. This is his imagination. It's kind of mixing the two. Right. I I agree. The sound design adds to that, too, because there's a lot of music in this movie. Um, and mm. the second that he spots her, like this loud music comes in, it, it makes it very evident that he's immediately aroused by yeah. this. Um, yeah. I mean, you can tell what his thoughts and intentions are immediately. And for me, it's a little too on the nose, man. I, you know, like he's I hunting it. this woman, scoping her out through the scope of his rifle. And that music just kind of was the cherry on the top. You know, it's just like, okay, I, I get it. And I understand what you're saying, but I almost feel like that was purposeful. I feel well, like was, this movie, but... there's something about it that that removes it just enough from reality. Right. It, it, it almost seems like a fantasy or a really, really dark fairy tale or, right. or parable uh, of sorts. That's a really good point, Craig, what you just said. Like, the music and the sound design is off-kilter enough. And even the acting. And I don't know if it was just because the acting in some points wasn't so great or... Or if it was just intentionally that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there were parts in which I felt it it came across so false that I thought, in a sense, he's just trying to create an unreal quality to this movie. Like, we're going to deal with unreal subject matter, so let's just kind of fantasize the whole thing and make the whole thing this sort of kind of male fantasy gone awry or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it's smarter than I'm giving it credit for. Mm-hmm. But it still came across in the viewing of it as like a little too on the nose. Let me just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you. I, and I get that. I, I, he, the dad brings this woman back, ties her up. And then he just introduces the family to her. Well, before he introduces the family to her, he's kind of leering at her and touching her. She's still unconscious. But as he's like fingering her face, <laughs> she wakes up and and she bites his ring finger off like at least you know up to the second knuckle (laughs) and it's very satisfying frankly because he's so smarmy and gross and the woman who plays the woman Pollyanna McIntosh she's very good she's very good at playing this very feral and very animalistic she has these very unnatural inhuman grunts uh, that that she communicates with it seems like she's verbal but she doesn't speak English Um, and and I read that the movie evolved as things do in creation I guess in the first film these feral people communicated with one another with language and it was subtitled but in this we don't get any subtitles but I did read that after she bites his finger off and he's all pissed off and he comes back and to punish her he fires a rifle right next to her ear basically deafening her in one ear and and threatening her to behave because he wants to introduce the family he brings the family in the son seems fascinated because here's this you know wild half naked woman it's gross like uh, that 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 little boy who played this role, I give him props because he plays it so well. But I'm like, ew, like, ugh. he's just so creepy. And the little girl, Darlin, she's more fascinated than anything. But he's presenting this woman as though she's a pet, like as though she's some yeah. wild animal that they have captured and and plan to domesticate. Um, and it's apparent that the mother. Bell and the oldest daughter, Peggy, are appalled, but have no idea what to do, because they have no power. And there are several scenes where the woman locks eyes with either of these women, either Bell or Peggy, and the direction and the cinematography does a good job, I think, of making it evident that she is trying to communicate with them through eye contact alone. She is. You know, they are communicating. She's pleading with them. They have feelings of compassion, seemingly. I read that uh, in one of the earlier incarnations of the script, she was supposed to speak to them in Gaelic, which I guess her tribe spoke in, I don't know. And she was supposed to say something like, will you help me, mothers? Mm. Because obviously the, the mom is a mom, but something that becomes increasingly evident as the movie goes on is that Peggy is pregnant too. Ugh. It's so gross. And there are moments when it really seems like they are connecting with her and that they might want to help her, but they're so beaten down or or in fear of consequences from the dad that there's they're they're powerless. They're helpless. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is that bit where they go in to clean her off. So the dad has got them. I, I mean, first of all, I got to hit this. Like, she bites his finger off. He turns around to her in anger. And I, I mean, obviously, it's also symbolic, right? Like, it bites off his ring finger, his wedding ring falls uh-huh. to the ground, all this stuff. And then he turns around and says to her, that is not civilized behavior. Right. <laughs> to this woman that, he, you know, he has strapped up downstairs. And it's like, yeah, c- clearly a very ironic line. But also, I kind of rolled my eyes at how ironic the line was. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Right here, there's good dialogue um, in this part where he intro- when he introduces the family to her, too, because he presents it in such a nonchalant way like that's Mm. part of the reason why you know that this family is i'm sorry you're gonna have to either bleep me or pardon my language because i can't just help from saying that this family is fucked up and this guy is fucked up 
Yeah. Just the way that he talks to his family, like he he presents her, and then the wife's like, "What is this?" And he says we're going to have to share in the responsibility for caring for her. Um, we're going to train her and, and civilize her. This is our project, and it's yes. a secret one. Uh, and and he also says, <clears throat> which becomes significant later in the most twisted of ways, it's the same as taking care of the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and this entire movie is scored by a background of dogs constantly barking and there's constantly (laughs) reference to him reminding either of the older children to go care for the dogs like (laughs) every five minutes there's some reference to the dogs go feed the dogs or something like that there's a payoff uh, in the end but just the way that he approaches it with the family is so messed up I mean, if you see it as like a fairy tale and so you take a kind of aloof uh, look at it and don't try to see this as real, but all is sort of allegory and whatever, that's fine. You know, then, like I said, these sort of ironic lines, it's okay. But I mean, at that point where they're staring at this woman, it is so obvious that the women are completely terrified and speechless. He stands there just talking very matter-of-factly about this, calls it, this is our project. And then as the women walk away, Brian, the boy, with kind of a leering look on his face, turns to his dad and says, do we get to keep her? <laughs> like she's some pet. Yes. You know? Which, uh... again, I'm sorry, Craig, but for me, I was just like, oh, God, this is so, it's too much, really. You know, it's too obvious. It's, it's unreal. It's over it's the top. It's over the top and yeah. unreal, which is fine, okay? Now that I've watched the movie, it's fine that we've got, you know, that this is what it's going to be. All right, so anyway, so, you know, Peg, Peg is scared of her dad and can't concentrate. Dad goes in and has a weird conversation with Peg where she's staring off into the distance. And I mean, it's just like she never makes eye contact with him whatsoever. And then the mom comes in in the background and shadow to overhear it. And then the mom confronts the dad and says, look, uh, I think this may, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And he just slaps her and walks away, which, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I expected. It's it's shocking, but yeah, that's what he And does. then just goes to bed. It is shocking because Chris isn't you know, like uh, a superhero type guy, but he's tall and uh, lean, and Angela Bettis is a small woman, meek in her appearance, or she can make herself appear that way in her roles. And she just very softly says, are you sure we should be doing this, or something like that, and just, me, it's so fast, he just slaps the shit out of her. Yeah. Um, and she just stands there and takes it. And he does it in the same way that one might give their partner a kiss on the cheek and walk away. Like, it's just so casual. Yeah. Gets ready for bed and goes to bed and says, come on, babe, time for bed. And she just goes and sits on the corner of the bed. It just establishes the dynamic of this relationship so easily. You know, she, I don't know the word for it. I mean... She's completely submissive to him, down. but not out of character necessarily, but out of the... She's been beaten into submission. <clears throat> like a dog, she's been beaten into submission. It's messed up, and it's sad, but I, I feel you when you say that it's just so over the top that it's almost hard to believe. It is hard to believe. It doesn't feel like reality. It feels like dark fantasy. It makes no sense that anybody would just go along with this stuff. They are so on their own little island in their house that the outside world barely even affects them. The The only kind of thing that we see from that, from the outside world, is that one of Peggy's teachers clearly can tell that something is going on with yeah. her. Uh, there's this young, pretty lesbian teacher named Miss Raton, um, who is concerned about Peggy because she's acting differently than she had previously. She's dressing modestly and in baggy clothes. She's sick in the morning. It's perfectly apparent what's going on. She's pregnant. And it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to even put two and two together to realize that she's pregnant by her father's 
by her father. Yeah, because there's nobody else. There's nobody else. Eventually, that comes to the to a head at at the end of the movie. So it's not directly stated at any point early in the movie, but it's just so obvious. And that interaction where he's talking to Peggy on her bed, that could have been perfectly innocent. But you can just tell by how uncomfortable she is in his presence. Like you said, she won't even make eye contact with him. The mother is watching covertly from the shadows. You know exactly what's going on. You know everybody knows what's going on. The mother knows what's going on. It's sick and twisted, but sad, too. I'm like, it's like May in that way that I feel bad for these women. Sure. But, you know, it's a movie, so what are you going to do? Well, <laughs> it's funny you said lesbian teacher. Now, where did you get that idea from? Well, for one thing, um, the first time that she kind of checks in on Peggy, Peggy's daydreaming, and when the teacher checks in on her, Peggy just says, uh, can I be excused? And she goes to the bathroom, but she had crumpled up a piece of paper, and the teacher opens it, and it's an illustration of her, and it says, Miss Dyke. Then, later, there's a scene where the teacher is considering calling the family to express her concern and she's talking to what appears to be a co-worker but I'm pretty sure she calls her babe and then I also read that in early drafts of the film there was an implied or maybe explicit sexual relationship between the teacher and Peggy that does not play into the movie at all it's it's not it's absent from the movie but in an early draft it was there yeah, the the movie really sexualizes the teacher early on, too. I mean, you know, our introduction to her is kind of a long draw up her legs and skirt and stuff as she turns yep, around yep. and talks to the class, which, you know. So uh, the gaze is definitely on the women. He's definitely focusing us on the women. I, I Yeah, the Mrs. Dyke thing is there. I, I didn't really think about it. and I th- It's not important. It's not important, it, you know, as long as she's not having a sexual relationship with these kid, with this kid is as apparently was in an earlier script, which was would have been even more bizarre. And, right. I mean, my God, thank goodness that was on the cutting room floor because the movie didn't need that complication. <laughs> it, did, <laughs> you know? it didn't, but at the same time, I think that it also would have made the whole situation even more bizarre because if Peggy were queer, oh. it, it would have made even less sense that she was pregnant and it would have made, you know, there would have been no doubt yeah. You know, like, there's really no doubt here anyway. There's no other boy. And they, they make a point of that. You know, she's not seeing anybody. In fact, at the pool party in the beginning, a cute boy who apparently she had at one point been interested in shows interest in her and she just rejects him basically outright. Right. Um, so there isn't anybody else. Uh, it's It's got to be the dad. And it's so gross. I, I feel like... I don't know how to proceed with this because I feel like it's just beats. Like, you know, like yeah. there are these weird plot beats. You you mentioned that they bathe her. Yeah, well, they first of all, they try to bathe her with like boiling water off the stove, which the mom, Belle, kind of tries to object to, but the dad shuts her down as he always does. When that doesn't work because she's so dirty, he fucking power washes her. Yeah. Like... This movie is so twisted. Yeah. That is torture. Yeah. Torture. And he just he just does it so nonchalantly like he's washing the car. And Peggy's screaming yes! in the background eventually. She's like, stop, Dad, stop, whatever. And the woman just kind of looks up. During that bathing scene, that's when the woman and the mother first lock eyes. And it's, yeah. it's clear as day that they're communicating because this is a long, drawn-out deal. While Dad is there washing, trying to wash the woman mother has picked up a board from the floor and is slowly approaching and it's their eyes and it's the board and it's their eyes and it's the dad distracted and you kind of think that maybe mom is going to whack him over the head with the board Mm -hmm. and put an end to this but instead she points out up in the corner hey um one of the eyelets or whatever that he had screwed into one of the overhanging boards it looks like it's going to break free which would be a big problem and he's like oh thank you very much for pointing that out and she's holding the board out and he says this will be a good start at fixing that and so 
then he turns away and then there's another look between the two and they go away and (laughs) that other look that that second look like yes it seemed like they were communicating it seemed like maybe uh, bell was going to do the right thing and help her but then when she doesn't they lock eyes again and i just have in my notes that the woman's look is like thanks for nothing bitch yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's so true and, and and it's an it's an interesting scene, right? I'm not sure what quite to make of it. it I guess what we're trying to, to 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 learn here is that the wife is far gone. She's gonna yeah yeah she's gonna be dad, you know, the husband's um, lapdog through the whole thing, and she's not going to do anything to save this woman. This woman's only chance at redemption comes from Peggy because Brian is get is is right alongside dad and getting sick and twisted, you know, Ugh. feelings along with it. The dad gets up in the middle of the night like he's being sneaky, like the bell totally is awake and knows that he's leaving and knows what he's doing yeah and like he's done it before many a time yeah probably with her, her daughter yeah yes and brian is awake too brian follows his dad out there and watches his dad rape this woman like it's so twisted yeah. it's disgusting Ugh. i mean and it is the, the thing is though the content is so gross, but it's really not super graphic. No, surprisingly. It's suggested. Every, I mean, it's more than suggested. You know exactly what's happening, yeah. but it's not graphic no. um, in its depiction. But it doesn't have to be. It's disturbing enough. But again, my God, Craig, this is just... <laughs> it's like an ABC after-school special. But, like, none I ever watched. But you know what I'm saying? The dad does the thing, and then the, it's an example to the son, and the son literally watches it. And then what happens the next day? The son goes down to reenact what dad did. <sighs> well, but the, the next day, first of all, we see them in the morning, And we see Chris going off to work, and he says to Brian, so you got a half day today, yeah? (laughs) And Brian's like, yeah. And he's like, what are you going to do with all your spare time? And Brian's like, I don't know. And Chris says to him, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Yes. (laughs) 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 So gross. (laughs) So it's like, okay, Dad. And he goes down, and he basically tries to rape her just like his dad did. But it's even worse because unbeknownst to him, Peggy is home. But Brian is even more twisted than his dad because he doesn't just molest this woman, which he does, but he tortures her. Yeah, he gets his pliers out. He stabs her with needle-nosed pliers and tears one of her nipples off. Again, we don't see it happen. We just hear the woman's screams. And because Peggy has stayed home sick, she runs out and stops him. The aftermath of this, I was talking to my partner last night about the movie, and I said, you would have hated this movie. I'm so glad I didn't make you watch it. And I said, the movie, again, pardon my language, you know, I think about those people who contact us and are like, thank you for not swearing all the time, but (laughs) I swear sometimes, sorry. I said to him, this movie is f***ed up from the beginning, and then in the last 25 minutes, it's like, what the f***? (laughs) <laughs> like it is so messed up. True. Like from from the point that you see the mom and Peggy have Brian sat down at the table waiting for the dad to come home so that they can tell the dad what he's done. Yeah. From that moment on, it is just a nightmare. Like, it is insane. But it's too much. I mean, Dad comes home, and what does he literally say when they tell him what happened? Oh, he's a boy. Adolescents have urges. Boys will be boys. I mean, it's a... Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. It's It's a litany of every single thing that, you know, the Me Too movement has said, you know, this is bullshit that guys tell their their sons. Uh, and this is why we have such rampant misogyny in American culture. You know, again, I'm sorry, ma'am. It's just way too much on the nose for me that I was just disconnected from it. It was screwed up. It was effed up. But I couldn't feel it was real enough that I felt that emotional connection that it wasn't just a play happening, a morality play 
happening in front of me. Yeah. So maybe that's a good thing. Because, I mean, you know, if it had felt real, I would have needed to take a cold shower after this and right. felt damaged myself. That's the thing. Like, I feel like as an English teacher, I should be able to come up with a better word. But it's almost like satire. Like... It's exaggerated to an extreme to make a point. Sure. And I get, I get the point that they're trying to make. I get the the point about patriarchy and misogyny and specifically in this part, how that is passed down through generations. Um, and, And, you know, Brian has learned this by watching his father and it's been allowed to continue to some extent and i'm not women blaming here at all but to some extent because the women have allowed it to continue at this point now because victim that that gets into but that gets into a whole issue of power dynamic too it's not so much they're allowing it it, it's that you know what choice do they have they have been browbeaten into accepting it which is why i love this next part because once he says all those things bell finally for the first time in the whole movie shows some humanity like she's an actual person right and she blows up and please you know angela bettis i really really think is a very talented actress and the shift here it's almost like the veneer breaks like she just can't do it anymore and that's what she says i can't do this anymore you can't do this and little bombshells are dropped here too she's like how how long do you think you can get away with this she says even what's going on out there with the dogs would be enough to put you in prison Mm -hmm. and when i first (laughs) heard that i'm like well yeah it doesn't seem like they've been taking very good care of their dogs so you know maybe they could get you know some animal abuse or something um when she says that and and really she loses it she she is really you know going in on him he looks at her and i did not the first time i watched this i did not put this together at all i don't even think that i knew what he was saying but he shouts in her face anophthalmia that is your shame you remember that did you catch that and did you know what he was talking about first of all i didn't know what that was until i looked it up later so no and no i didn't catch that actually that all went right by me well i mean it's it's a i I guess we can save it for the big reveal something is going on out there with the dogs that we don't know about and when he throws that in her face she says i never condoned what you did and he says yeah well what are you going to do about it and that is maybe one of the more troubling lines for me because i feel like that is so the position that abused women find themselves in they feel so powerless um and these men and, and it's not just men any abusive person they convince people that what are you going to do you have no power i have all the power what are you going to do and she says i'm going to i'm going to leave you and, and she says i'm taking the girls with me you can keep your little rapist son for yourself you <laughs> seem to be teaching him you know just right um but you're not going to hurt me or my girls anymore and when she says that he beats the shit out of her. Yeah, knocks like, her out. Horrible. And then, it, it, almost comically, really, the teacher rings the doorbell. And yeah. And the, the girl goes to the door while dad and the son are picking up mom. He's like, oh, mom's going to be fine. Go get her a wet rag, you know, whatever, and help me here. At the same time, the the girl answers the door, you know, like like they've had to do this a thousand times before. And the son and the dad are very casually, you know, not at all concerned that someone's coming to the door, setting mom up at the table. And uh, and the the teacher comes over and she, you know, she's here to visit to talk to the parents about what she thinks, you know, what she's discovered about their daughter possibly being pregnant. And the dad walks right over and says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, you're the you're the geometry teacher. Great. Come on in. Have a seat. Sits her down right there in the room. And then, you know, she has a clear view of mom sitting at the table unconscious. And he just kind of looks over and says, oh, yeah, she's not feeling well, taking a power nap. And then he says a line that I think was was clever and significant as the teacher's like, well, I would like to speak with you and your wife alone. 
and he says, we have no secrets in this family. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, well, the truer words were never were never spoken by him. But he's like, yeah, you bring my, you can talk. Why don't, if it's about my daughter, why don't we bring Peg in here? And she sits down. He's like, and then uh, Brian, come on in. You, you need to hear this too. You know, she lays out her idea that Peg is pregnant. And he goes ballistic on her quickly. He confronts her and says, what are you suggesting? She doesn't have a boyfriend. If she had a boyfriend, I would know. So, are you suggesting it was Brian? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and like that's out of left field, right? For the team. and she's like, no, of course not. No, what not. the hell are you talking about? He's like, well, then are you? You must be suggesting it's me. And she's looking at him like he's crazy. And he's like, well, you certainly are, and I'll have nothing of it. And then he whacks her out, and that this was the first surprise of the movie for me. So he he knocks her out uh, against the door and tells Brian, go get a rope. And this is where the camera work gets kind of interesting. Like, they go for that whole Bob Clark, like, wide-angle camera and these close-up shots where everything's a little chaotic and a little more dreamlike just because it's a little more distorted. But uh, he drags her out with Brian's help outside, ties her by the rope to the fence, and at the same time, Peg is running after her, him screaming, you can't do this, you can't do this. And he... She's my teacher. She's my friend. Yeah. And he, for the first time, just once again... just grabs her by the neck and the camera's spinning around him and he just lays into her. And one uh, one thing that he says, it, you're all the same, women are all the same, you and your sisters. Sisters. And I, right. that did not escape me. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and you're only good, you're only good for one thing and half the time you're not even any good at that. Mm. Like, gross. Yeah. So nasty. I mean, because he's he's clearly speaking to her specifically, not just about women in general, but to her specifically. Uh, uh. It's so nasty. Well, they, he and Brian drag this poor woman who was just trying to help and do the right thing, um, yeah. drag her in and throw her in the dog pen. And these are German shepherds unhappy German shepherds and uh, (laughs) so that's very scary but she backs away towards one corner of the kennel and the dad's like that's a bad idea and there's like a little dog hutch in the back and out of this dog hutch bursts this wild feral girl disfigured with a face deformity that that thing that he had said that uh anophthalmia what that is is a, a congenital disorder where a child is born congenitally without one eye or there's another name for it they can be born without both eyes um but what's obviously happened here is that there had been another daughter who had born been born with a birth defect and so they had just made her one of the dogs yeah like and that was just part of their everyday life so every time he was telling them to go feed the dogs they were also really feeding this sister feral sister that they had and it's so twisted because you realize that from the beginning his family was shocked that he would bring in this feral woman but he's done it before they've been living their life like this forever yeah Oh, it's so dark and twisted and disgusting. And the feral sister kills the teacher. While that is happening, Peggy runs. And I don't know what inspires her to do this, but I think that it was the smart thing to do. She runs and she releases the woman. Yeah. This is what you're waiting for. And you're hoping that this moment is going to come. And it comes. And it's entirely satisfying. Yep. She picks up a big piece of metal... It's like a knife. Or it's a like a it's like a mower blade. Yeah, that's what it is. And the first thing she does is go after Brian. Brian and the dad have been watching the teacher get eaten with a sick fascination, like this has happened before, almost really. Uh huh. Here's the thing: like, there's been a kind of motif through this movie where the mother keeps baking these cookies. They're like gingerbread men with the little girl. And uh, there's a t- you know when Brian gets the gingerbread man. He chops it in half with his hand before he eats it. It's just supposed to show that he's such a brutal guy or something. And this he does this like three or four times in the movie. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to come to fruition at some point. And it does because the woman 
uh, slices twice across this Brian's midsection and cuts him in half like one of those gingerbread cookies. Which is satisfying because he's so disgusting. Yeah. But, e- but even before that, as soon as the woman emerges, Belle has run out. I guess, to see what's happening. I mean, she's terribly injured. Like, it seems like maybe her ribs are broken or maybe even her back is broken. I mean, she's she's severely injured, but she makes her way out there to the cellar and she opens the door and she sees the woman coming up the stairs and she looks at Peggy and says, what have you done? And the woman picks her up, throws her on the ground and kills her by basically eating her face off. And, and then she picks her up above her head and throws her like, 10 feet away. I, I mean, this woman, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. She has superhuman strength. This is all very over-the-top violence. I have to say that I kind of felt bad that Belle got killed. Sure. Um, She's a victim, too. She was a victim, too. Now, I was again, I was talking to my partner about it, and I said, you know, when it comes right down to it, she allowed this to happen for a very long time. It, but again, I don't want to get into victim blaming. She too was a victim. But anyway, she gets it. Then Brian gets it. Then finally the dad. Gets but you it. know, in a way, the movie is kind of victim blaming. I mean, it's saying that even though this woman was a victim, because she didn't anyway get the wherewithal to stop it, especially at that moment where she had the opportunity, she is just as culpable, which, uh, I don't know. I, I have a little bit of a problem with that. I mean, it, you can kind of just you can kind of say, well, yeah, sure, that's true. But on the other hand, I think we understand the psychological aspects of this. It's a little more complicated than that. And, and right, you right. Know, so I know that we are supposed to feel happy that she got it too because she was an enabler here. But yeah, once again, I think it really oversimplifies things and yes. does a bit of a disservice to the point the movie is trying to make. Well, and then you know, like I said, the dad gets it too. He he tries to grab a weapon or something, but the woman comes up to him and just punches into his abdomen <laughs> like it's it's that's the thing like it's it's not realistic and i think again i've said it already but i feel like that's intentional it's supposed to be a little bit fantastical i think for just to to drill home the message and she you know rips his guts out and then you know shoves her arm clear up into his cavity and and pulls his heart out and takes a bite out of it <laughs> while he's still alive yeah. And then she, the the end is very bizarre, uh, but I like it. She comes out. Um, Peggy runs and grabs Darlin, and, and it seems like she's going to try to get them away. Meanwhile, the woman is outside, and the dog girl. I feel bad even saying that about her, but you know <laughs> she is a human being. But she has no that's name. well, she does. Her name is Socket. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> But anyway, the dog girl comes out, and the woman is like seems confused a little bit by her, but she just treats her like a dog, and kind of just when the girl growls at her, she smacks her, and kind of into submission. So then this girl just kind of follows the woman around. Like a dog. Like a dog. The woman walks up to the house, and um, Darlin runs out and hands her a bottle of water, which she drinks, and then she has bloody hands from the dad she she has the little girl lick her fingers and it's almost like the little girl's like hmm, yeah that was good i'll take that and, <laughs> and and so the woman takes darlin by the hand and just starts walking away so it's her walking hand in hand with darlin followed by their family dog <laughs> girl and i had forgotten this but in the very last seconds it appears that peggy starts to follow them too yeah. as though they are all going to go off and be this new family which is interesting and weird but you know now they're like this tribe of women yeah um, which is kind of interesting the, the, like i said there is a, a follow-up to this movie called darlin peggy appears in it but i don't remember her being in it very much i don't recall dog girl being in it at all you watched it i did watch it um it, it takes place i would guess maybe mm, 10 years later when Darlin is a teenager and somehow Darlin gets discovered and taken away 
to a Catholic boarding school where they attempt to civilize her. But the secondary story is that the woman is on a mission to retrieve her quote-unquote daughter. Frankly, though I enjoyed the movie, it got into some really silly territory. It's interesting. If you liked this movie, I would say go ahead and watch it, but it gets even kind of more over the top. I mean, the woman ends up with a gun in the end, and she's like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's kind of silly. Okay. This movie, overall, to me, it's just... I, I can't say that I enjoyed it, because it's so dark and twisted. Like, it, it leaves you unsettled and almost feeling sick to your stomach. But I think that it's interesting. And I think that Lucky McKee is an interesting director he makes interesting thought-provoking movies you know maybe not a date movie but you know if you're into horror and if you're willing to if you're prepared for some disturbing material that's at least gonna get you kind of thinking i think it's worth the shot and it's well made oh that's true the acting is a little over the top. Everything's a little over the top. The cinematography is stylized, but I think it's very competently made. Um, it's very bizarre. It, you know, it, it's very difficult to put into you know a category. But uh, I don't know. Uh, overall, I would recommend it to horror fans. But you you kind of need to know you're getting into something very different here. Yeah, and I would take maybe a couple steps back from from your position on this. I, I get it. I think it plays maybe better as a fairy tale. And maybe if you look at it through that lens, I would maybe look a little nicer on the movie. I, I just feel like this type of subject matter, which maybe now, I mean, the movie's what? It came out in 2000 2011. So some time has passed since then, and now this Me Too thing is... It's not a thing. It's always been there. But, you know, that this kind of realization that we have nowadays, uh, we need to very much recognize that this thing happens. I mean, this stuff we all should know has been happening. Misogyny, um, abuse, yeah. that kind of thing, obviously. But it's more front and center now, probably, than it was in 2011. And so I think nowadays oh, yeah. we're having more sophisticated conversations about it. And so maybe when you watch this movie nowadays, it seems a little too simplistic. It seems a little too over the top. And uh, it's maybe a little outdated in that way. Perhaps that's why I kind of groaned through the whole film. I felt like uh, this subject matter deserves something a little more nuanced than what we got. Hmm. And that's fine. I mean, look, this is horror. We do a horror podcast. Horror is usually not very nuanced. Right. But the reason I was comparing this to May is because May was a very nuanced film by the same director. And I I liked that. And again, subject matter, you know, the kind of plight of women in today's society, they both share that as well. I just felt like Whereas I thought that May was a very nuanced and interesting and intriguing look at it, even though it also was fantastical. Mm -hmm. This movie was a little too fantastical to me. Maybe if it had dipped a little bit more into the realm of obvious fantasy, maybe if there were a little more magical realism in there, kind of like there was in May, (laughs) you know, I would have swallowed it a little better. I, I, I'm glad that you said that because I almost forgot. Did you watch the post credit scene? There was a post-credit scene. Yep. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. No, I didn't know. And it's it's crazy. It's it's darling, like on a paper boat on a paper sea, traveling to this paper island. What? Where? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's it's all it's very stylized, almost like puppet theater. The only realistic thing is the young girl who's the actress, and she ends up on like this tribal island, and like communicates with this. There's no dialogue, but like communicates with this weird paper mache tribal god what? or something. <laughs> yeah, and then that's it. It's just over. <laughs> But just like that fantastical moment at the end of May where it kind of seems like maybe the corpse is coming to life, this is kind of a little fantastical cap on this movie, too. I had never seen it either. I just happened to read somewhere that it was there, and so I went back and looked at it. And it doesn't even seem connected to the plot, (laughs) Um, but it's weird. Oh, boy. Anyway, so 
There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's the woman for you. <laughs> the woman. <laughs> well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us online. Just Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. Find our Facebook page. Find our homepage. Leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought of this film and our review of it, as well as leave us suggestions for films we should do in the future, like Andrew did. Thank you again, Andrew, for this recommendation. We had a blast chatting about it and watching it. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. <laughs>